0: Psalm on my heart. It's almost consumed me. I, uh, I want to share with you what the Lord's been giving me out of this passage of Scripture. It's got 31 verses, and there's no way that we can talk about 31 verses this morning. So, this sermon that begins now, it'll lap over till tonight. And as far as I know now, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Amen. we'll be in it the entire week. Amen. So, we'll know our text. Amen. And I don't say that lightly, preacher. I sense God's leading in this. And. Uh, of course I haven't told you the psalm number yet have I? Uh, it's about Jesus. It is not by accident you have been singing about our Lord all morning. I have no doubt you do it every Sunday but uh, this text is certainly about our Savior. And i uh, It's going to exalt him. We've we've sung about what he's done. This psalm talks about the greatest thing he's done for us. Brother Bagwell, I can't imagine what it would be. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 in the word of God. I hear your pages turning finding that portion of Scripture. I'm going to read a little bit of it in just a minute, but but not quite yet. You will notice at the very beginning of the psalm, up at the top, it says a psalm of David. And that simply means that David, could I put it this way, held the pen? Because the real author of Psalm 22, I need an amen, is the Holy Spirit. As is true of all the word of God. But, But it does say a Psalm of David. By actual identification, David wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms. I'm sure he wrote more. At least they sure do sound like David. Uh, But 73, we can dogmatically say, David is the author. Certainly, including this one. And and yet, preacher, I believe this psalm goes beyond anything concerning David. I have no doubt that part of it is biographical, maybe autobiographical. Autobiography of David. But let me me show you something. Uh, Verse 16. Look at verse 16. Right at the end of verse 16. They pierced my hands and my feet. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no record anywhere of David, King David, ever experiencing pierced hands and pierced feet. Closest I can come, preacher. Uh, Once, at Ziklag, they picked up stones to stone him. And they didn't. But that's a far cry from pierced hands and pierced feet. Now I'm going to need an amen here. But I do know somebody who suffered pierced hands and pierced feet. a psalm of David, but I'm pretty sure it's about Jesus. Look at verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I believe I read those words in the New Testament. Matthew records them of Jesus. Jesus. So does Mark, Luke doesn't, and John doesn't, but twice as he's dying on the cross, these words flow from his mouth. But now here's a problem. that's well, not a problem, but it needs to be discussed. David lived a thousand years before Jesus. That's a millennium, 10 centuries. And yet somehow the Holy Spirit of God knows 1,000 years before the Lord was even born what Jesus is going to be saying on the cross. I want you to listen to me. If we've got these dates right, David, 1,000 B.C., round figures. Jesus dying 33 A.D. If we've got these dates right, this psalm right here, hope somebody will agree with me, is a miracle. David wrote it as prophecy. You could read it, you could have read it at the foot of the cross and watch it happen. And you'd say, it's not prophecy, it's history. Right in front of my very eyes. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The psalm is categorized as a lament. L-A-M-E-N-T. What is a lament? Uh, It is a sad poem, a sad hymn. Uh, Lamentation is the word that expresses grief and pain. And it does record our Lord's grief and pain. He died on Calvary that day. Oh, oh. Anybody agree? He did that for you. He did it for me. He did it for us. He did it for whosoever will. We're going to learn, God willing, in Psalm 22, some things about Jesus' death that Matthew doesn't tell us or Mark or Luke, or even John. The four Gospels present Jesus' death theologically, how he is, and he did pay our sin debt on Calvary. But the four Gospels tell us very little of the suffering of our Savior on the cross. They do not accent his physical agony. And pain. But this psalm, this psalm goes into the very heart of our Savior. A lot of it, Jesus puts on His own lips. He lives. Psalm 22 on the cross that day. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Turn to verse 31. Just flip the page. Probably you will. I'm interested in the last four words of the psalm. I mean at the end of verse 31. I will read them to you. He hath done this. You see it? He hath done this. The Hebrew word there is asah. It is a perfect Tense verb means it is completed action. Though David wrote it prophetically on the cross, it is completed action. asah. he hath done this. We're going to leave Hebrew and go to Greek. Here is Assah in Greek. Listen to telestai. Let me give it to you again. Telestai. And what does telestai mean? Here it is in Greek. I need some amens. It is finished. It is finished. This psalm goes from my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me to it is finished. I wouldn't be surprised as our Lord hung there those hours that he meditated. Pondered this psalm during that time of agony. Can I make an exclamation? What a Savior! Amen. What a Savior! Amen. It is in my heart to look at the first five verses this morning. And uh, let me read them to you. Begins, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But there's a follow-up question. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Do you hear the lament, the sadness, the sorrow? Verse 2, oh my God. I cry in the daytime. That's Jesus on the cross. But thou, look at this, but thou hearest not. God turned a deaf ear to his son. And in the night season, now he's crying in the night. And I am not silent. Not a word from God while Jesus weeping and crying. Look at verse 3. Out of our Lord's mouth, though it's not recorded by the Gospels, but thou art holy. But thou art holy. Does anybody believe God's holy today? O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, That'd be Moses, Abraham, earlier than that. I guess Isaiah, King Hezekiah. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, watch this, and thou didst deliver them. God's not delivering Jesus. He's crying. Thou didst deliver them. Verse 5, they cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. That's as far as we can possibly get. If we get that far, discussing the psalm this morning. Am I making too big of a leap to say, no doubt in my mind, I want to see if you're on the same page. That's Jesus right there. No doubt. It is our Savior. I always thought, it's so easy to get a misconception sometimes with scripture. I always thought Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me Uh, when they first nailed him to the cross? That's what I thought. But that's not the way it happened. He did not say those words until near the end of his Calvary ordeal. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Does anybody believe? I do. God really forsook his son that day. Heart-rending. But I guess we'd all be on our way to hell if the father hadn't forsaken his son. It's called evocative. Here is Jesus on the cross and he's praying. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Wonder why it is twice recorded. My God, my God. And I don't know that anybody's got the final answer there, but I wouldn't be surprised. It's my God addressed to the Father. And my God addressed to the Holy Spirit. For I'm pretty sure that day on the cross, it's the name of a song, y'all. He died alone. He died alone for you and me. Forsaken of his Father, the Holy Ghost steps back. Jesus bears our sin debt, takes the brunt. Of the Father's wrath for you and for me. My God, my God, why? I've heard preachers say, and I'm not gonna contradict them, that you gotta be careful asking God why. And I guess that makes sense. After all, the day we got saved, from that day forward, will I get an amen? We no longer belong to ourselves. We're not our own. Bought with the price, the blood of Jesus. So he can do anything he wants to. And I may not have the right to ask why, but Jesus asked why. Jesus is, Jesus is, Preacher, and I may be on ten ice here. I believe it's God and Jesus is God. I believe it's God. Jesus is omniscient. Yes, now what does that mean? It means he knows all. He knows everything. Are y'all okay with that? I don't serve a God who'll learn something day after tomorrow. He already knows. So My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? I don't think he's speaking right there, that moment is God. He knows why God's forsaken me. I believe he's speaking that moment as a man. and Jesus is God, well I get an amen, but he's also man. Perfect God, there can't be any other, perfect God and perfect man. And as man, Why? Has thou forsaken me. Oh, preacher, let let me present a thought. For 40 days, the Lord went out into the wilderness, right after his baptism, to be tempted of the devil. That's what scripture tells us. He didn't eat 40 days. And, and, And the devil comes and tempts him, looks like three times. And uh, the Lord defeated the devil. I'm going to need an amen. You know it. The Lord defeated the devil with the word of God. Here's what I'm trying to say. He defeated the devil as a man, as the God man. I guess Jesus being God, that day of temptation, he could have said, Father, would you zap Lucifer with a heavenly bolt and eradicate him, do away with it. He had the power to do that. But he didn't defeat the devil that day as God. He defeated the devil that day as man. If Jesus defeated the devil with the word of God, guess what, I have the word of God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Maybe I can defeat the devil with scripture. I'm saying he handled that temptation as man. I believe he's dying. And by the way, he's not dying for God. He's dying for lost man. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The word forsaken, it is used elsewhere in the Old Testament. And this sounds blasphemous, but it's not. I mean, Jesus, why hast thou failed me? Why hast thou failed me? I'm gonna make an announcement. I know how you're gonna act. God's never failed me. If you know every part of sin, if you're in his family, I'm pretty sure you'd give the, he never failed me, preacher. sir. Why? Has thou forsaken me? Why has thou... Fa- In Jeremiah, he got upset one day. Do you remember, preacher? And he said, God, you failed me. You've let me down. God hadn't failed him, but he used those words. But here with Jesus, God has literally forsaken his son. God stepped away from the God-man as he died that day on Calvary. I'm taking too long with this verse, but it's important. Why did God have to turn away from his son? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I believe this is the answer. There may be a better answer, but I believe this is the answer. That day on Calvary, Jesus became, you're gonna need some amens, my sin bearer. No sin in him, our sin upon him. As he died that day. Oh, oh. When they first nailed Jesus to the cross, God had not yet forsaken his son. You don't know that. I do. Jesus prays a prayer shortly after he's nailed to the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they... Notice what he called God. Father. He's in fellowship. Father. Everything's okay. At the end of the Calvary ordeal he prays again. Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. Can I say something? Sounds like he's back in fellowship again. Father. Right here, you can't call him Father. There's a separation of fellowship. Can't call him Father, my God, my God, why? and I believe it's during that time, preacher, that God took your sin. Yeah, yes, Fellas, every one of you, from the front row, front row to back row, everybody in the building, everybody in the county, everybody in the state, everybody in the nation, Everybody in the world ever has lived or ever will live. Poured the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And when Jesus became the sin bearer, God had to step away. Habakkuk says God is too holy to be able to look upon sin. And the Father had to turn his head Because Jesus was paying our sin debt. Jesus took our load of our sin upon himself. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm gonna add three words that that supplement the text, but it's the truth, the psalm will bear. Why hast thou forsaken me? I need some amens. For a season. For a season. The Father didn't stay gone long. Jesus paid the sin debt and the load was lifted. I think we can find the verse where the load lifted, preacher. You know the difference that is made when sin has been atoned. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I love the testimonies. What God did for us what God did for our family, but the greatest thing he ever did for any one of us is when he died on that cross to wash away our sins. Wow. I've only talked about half of verse one. Look. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Roaring. That word roaring is used only, that specific verb is only used 12 times in the Old Testament. Every time it's translated roaring and it's got the idea of roaring like a lion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, nor John, not a one of them tell us that on the cross, Jesus roared. It's similar to groan. I imagine if you're being crucified, no anesthesia, no painkillers. He rejected any attempt at that. I imagine there'd be some pain involved. I imagine there'd be some groaning involved. Why are you so far from the words of my roaring? Somebody said this, preacher, I was studying earlier this month. They said, there's the Lamb of God dying, roaring like a lion. The Lamb of God died for you and me, roaring like a lion. Who had ever thought of linking a lamb and a lion? It works. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah. That might be a hint of it. Right there. Mm. Look at verse 2. Oh, my God. Oh, well, somebody, and he's a smart elic, a Bible criticizing smart elic. He said, verse two's got a contradiction. Said, verse two's got an error. Look at there, he's crying in the daytime and then he's crying in the night season. Said, that's impossible. He was only on the cross about six hours. That ain't long enough for it to get day and night. You better read that account again, sir. Because during those six hours, The sun was shining brightly and then I believe when he started paying the sin debt, I need an amen, God cut the lights out. And the sun refused to shine. Darkness and God. He did cry in the daytime. He did cry in the nighttime. Announcement, the Bible's right. Hallelujah. Always is. Look, Look at this. I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. Thou hearest not. Preacher, the verb there is A-N-A-H-A-N-A. Forty-two times it's translated hearest. It's like we got it here. 242 times it is translated answerest. Father, I'm crying, I'm praying, and thou hearest not, thou Answer is not. For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus pleads, prays, and cries, and there's no answer. Can I make an announcement? Jesus is in the habit of getting his prayers answered. I don't believe it had ever happened before. I don't believe it'll ever happen again. God answers the prayers of his Son. We better be glad he's interceding for us right now. Come to think of it, thou hearest not. The only thing that could possibly separate God the Father from Jesus is he died on that cross, sin when He took our sin upon Him. Into verse two, in I kind of night, and I am not silent. The Gospels, and preacher, you have to put them all together to get these. The Gospels have him speaking seven times while he's dying on the cross. But you've got to take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to get it all together. Here, I learned, he was not silent. Preacher, I wouldn't be surprised. He quoted and meditated this psalm all the way through the Calvary ordeal. Somebody said, you know how you study and you read and you don't remember exactly where somebody said said that's the chapter that got the old thief on the cross saved. And I thought it ain't done it. <laughs> he, he didn't know nothing about that. And yet if Jesus, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from? The, and then that thief sees the load lift. He hears Jesus praising God. It just might be that is the. Ch- uh, it's been getting a lot of people saved ever since. I'll guarantee you that. Yes, Psalm twenty-two. Yes, yes, it's a soul-winning track. It's what it is. Verse three. Oh, before I look at verse three with you. And I've seen this happen, and I'm sure you have too. Somebody gets a reversal from God. I didn't word that well. God doesn't do something you ask him. Something bad happens. I mean a catastrophe. And you know good and well God's almighty. I've seen people who were forsaken of God turn against God. Get bitter on God. I had a man I pastored in, in Doraville when I was there those years. Terrible wreck. Uh, unfortunate. And uh, left him maimed the rest of his life. He turned against God. He said, God could have kept that from happening. And, and uh, got bitter. Oh, God. That's a normal humor. I guarantee you within a five-mile radius of this church... There's some people that used to go to church and God didn't suit them on some matter. They got upset, they got angry, and they're done with God. Well, I'll tell you what, number one, Jesus ain't never done nothing wrong. He is a perfect, perfect, he's God, but he's a perfect man on top of that. And yet God forsook him, God turned away. God failed him. Will Jesus get bitter? Will Jesus get angry? Will Jesus question what God has done? Look at verse 3. What are the first words out of our Lord's mouth? Somebody say amen when I read it. But thou art holy. Not a word of criticism. Not even... Father, I sure hope you know what you're doing. <laughs> I'm on this cross in New that. But thou art holy. We'd be better off if we'd just make up our minds up front. He's never made a mistake. He's never done anything wrong. And he never will. He is holy, hallelujah. Amen. Abraham asked it, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I can answer it. He will do right. But thou art holy. O oh, thou, watch this, that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Preacher, there are two ways of looking at that. It's the Ryrie, uh, uh, Charles Ryrie. You've read it after you, he said that term "praises of Israel." That was one of their pet names for the tabernacle, for the temple, for God's house. And if that's right, look what it just said: "O oh, Father, O oh God." Thou that inhabitest, that inhabitest the tabernacle, that inhabitest the temple. How many of you believe we're in God's house this morning? My soul, we're in God's house today. You don't reckon God's here, do you? He inhabits the praises of his people. I got better scripture maybe where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I, there am I in the midst. He's here today. Oh, thou that inhabitest. That means to, it doesn't mean to pitch a tent. It doesn't mean to check in the motel for a night or two. Inhabitest, to dwell permanently. To set up residence. Oh, thou that inhabitest. The praises of people. Wouldn't it be something, and I believe it may be so right here, wouldn't it be something for God to show up every time we met? He inhabits. Then secondly, obviously, the praises of his people. He may, but this doesn't say he inhabits the grumblings of his people. Uh, He may, but this doesn't say he inhabits the gossip and slander of his people. But I got it on good authority. He sure does inhabit the praises of his people. Yes, sir. Verse four and five sort of tie together. Our fathers. Let's see. Uh, verse five. They. That's our fathers. It's just a. It's just using a pronoun instead of our. Our fathers trusted in thee. The verb there. It's B-A-T-A-C-H, batak. It is a verb that means they leaned on thee, they believed in thee to the absolute point of no worry. They had no doubt God could take care of. It's translated careless. No care, no fret, no worry. It's in his hand. Our fathers trusted in thee. Preacher, in Jesus' time, that could go all the way back to Adam, 4,000. But it certainly would go all the way back to Abraham, 4,000 years to Adam, 2,000. Our fathers trusted in thee. You didn't let them down. You didn't fail them. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. The word deliver, thou didst rescue them. I'm not going to take the time. Oh, Abraham would get himself in a mess and Egypt comes to mind and God would rescue him. Boy, did Israel get herself in a mess in the land of Egypt. Have you heard? God rescued her. Israel was in a mess. Uh, The whole Assyrian army has circled the city. 185,000 soldiers and they're bragging on how they're going to reduce Jerusalem to nothing. God sent his angel that night. I need an amen. And rescued them. Jesus says, God, you've done it again and again. They trusted. They believed. And you delivered them. But in the back of his mind, Perfect man. Lord, you delivered them again and again. Why? Why have you forsaken me? And though he's going through that sense of rejection, rightly so, though he's going through that, he keeps on praying, he keeps on believing, he keeps on trusting. Let let me give you a a word picture of this. Uh, Jesus prays, no answer suffers, prays again no answer Suffers some more prays again, no answer Suffers some more, prays again no, agony rejection no answer to his prayer and yet, like a cork fishing, keeps bobbing up he just, I need an amen he just won't quit praying he just won't quit coming back to his father Mm. They cried unto thee and were delivered. Verse 5, they trusted in thee and they were not confounded. The word that is used there for confounded, I'm going to have to stop even time-wise, but the word that is used there for confounded, confused, confused. It, It can't even mean ashamed. They trusted in you, Lord, and you never... Let him down. Someone said this. I'm getting ready to close. Someone said this. He was forsaken of God. Get an amen ready. So we will not be forsaken of God. Amen. Amen. He suffered my agony so that I would not suffer any agony. I've said it twice already. What a savior. What a Savior. That doesn't scratch the surface of what's in those five verses, but I hope it creates a little bit of appetite in your heart. Would you do something? And preacher, I think we've done it the other two years. I had our printer, you know Bill Goins, you know him well, print this little booklet. It says Psalm 22's got a silhouette of our Savior on the cross. By the way, he's not on that cross anymore. He's at the right hand of God today. I just had him put Psalm 22 in here. Uh, Legible print, comfortable print. And and then I asked him to put, you probably can't say that little page of boxes, check boxes I call them. So you can mark every time this week you read Psalm 22. And then in this day of uh, so much technology, it'll count, you can put the check mark in there if you hear it on your phone. Let it play. My wife figured out a way, she'll tell you about it. It's a, it's a, it'll read it to you seven Times in a row. <laughs> See, you can't read that driving up the road. Somebody say amen. Then not enough of you say amen right there? You can't read that thing driving up, but you can put your phone playing seven times. Here's my goal. I want to get the word of God, specifically this chapter, into our hearts. And I'd love for us to leave here Wednesday night loving Him, adoring Him, worshiping Him more, more than we ever have before. May we bow our heads. Can we close our eyes together in prayer? Preacher.